the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko concludes the second and third angel's messages today. We broadcast the first portion of this message on Friday, but due to our time constraints, we're not able to complete it. We'll do so now. And remember, you can always listen online at reachingyourheart.com to any of these messages in their entirety. In fact, you can download them if you would like in MP3 format to any of your portable devices. Our telephone number here is 877-788-5371, 877-788-5371. And I'll be back with some very important information at the close of our broadcast. So stay with us for just a little bit afterwards. Here now is Pastor Mike. In Daniel 7.25, another event is linked with the beginning of the 1260 years. Let's go back and look at the verse again. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And what does it say next? He shall think to change times and law. It doesn't say he can, but he thinks he can. And they shall be given to his hand for a time, two times, and half a time. He will think to change times and laws. Now, friend, the only part of God's law that relates to time is the Sabbath of the fourth commandment, the seventh day Sabbath. And let's turn to Exodus 20, verse 8, the fourth commandment. We have here a record of it. Remember the Sabbath day to do what? To keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the Sabbath is your Sabbath. Is that what it says? It says it's a Sabbath to what? The Lord your God. It's not your Sabbath. You don't own it. It doesn't belong to you. It's His. And you, if you belong to Him, must keep it. The saints were delivered into the beast's hands in the year 538. Revelation 13, Daniel 7 agree. The edict of Justinian that gave the beast authority took effect in the year 538. Yet a fusion of church and state occurring in the Roman Empire, the, the unified Roman Empire that was coming together because of these actions. Just as Daniel predicted, he thought to force a change on the fourth commandment of God's holy law in the year 538. That's how we know that's the beginning of the 1260 years. At the Council of Orleans in 538, in the 28th canon of the church with the authority of the state behind it, the church legislated Sunday observance in place of the seventh-day Sabbath with a fierce bite in the legislation. What does that mean? And it means for the first time in history, the church was a state enforcing religious law and the change of the Sabbath was used to unify the Roman Empire. That's what it means. And the king that directed the attack on the law of God was a bishop of the church directing the change of God's law and by so doing, attacking the very authority of God. With stiff penalties, the 28th canon reads like this. It is a Jewish superstition that it is unlawful to ride or drive on Sunday. The Latin is the Lord's Day. Or do anything for the decoration of house or person. But field laborers are forbidden so that people may be able to come to church and worship. And if anyone acts otherwise, he is to be punished, not by the laity, but by the bishop. So the bishop, 
this point had the power of the secular state to force someone to keep a violation of God's law. In the Catholic record of September 1, 1923, the theologians in the Church of Rome describe the significance of this action in the year 538. Now, this isn't coming from me. This is coming from the very church that made the change. It says, in the first centuries, the obligation of arrest, of rest from work, remained somewhat indefinite. The Council of Laodicea, held at the end of the fourth century, was content to prescribe that on the Lord's Day, meaning Sunday, the faithful were to abstain from work as far as possible. At the beginning of the sixth century, St. Caesarius and others showed an inclination very similar to us to apply the law of the Jewish Sabbath to the Christian Sunday. I mean, they're very clear here. Sunday is a transitional thing that occurred centuries after the apostles. But the Council of Orleans in 538, now there's the event, the beginning of the 1260 years, the Council of Orleans in 538 reprobated this tendency as Jewish and non-Christian. Thus, by the same divine authority, in virtue of what she did away with, the Jewish Sabbath, and substituted, therefore, the Christian Sunday, the Catholic Church legislated as to how the Lord's Day should be observed. I mean, if you can't get that, to change times in law in the Middle Ages was predicted by the prophet Daniel. It is verified by the very power that did it. And most Christian churches today blindly or willingly go along with it. And by so doing, they identify with this attack upon God's authority. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, the great theologian of Rome, understood the issue well. In the new law, and he calls it the new law. I thought there was only one law in God's holy word, the Ten Commandment law of God based on love for God and love for fellow man. In the new law, the keeping of Sunday supplants that of the Sabbath, not in virtue of the precept of the law, but through determination by the church and the custom of the Christian people. I'm telling you, the church and the custom or tradition of the Christian people has no authority over the Word of God. The Word of God must instruct the church. So the 1260 years began in the year 538, and it ended in 1798 when the beast power received its deadly wound. Turn with me to Revelation 13, verse 10. It says, if anyone is to be taken captive, how does it read? To captivity... He goes, if anyone slays with the sword, the sword he must be slain. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, if you take your Bibles, you'll look in verse 5. You have the 42 months, which is the 1260-year prophecy. This verse is significant because it shows you how that prophecy ends. It ends with the captivity of this power here described. Pius VI was taken captive by the French general Berthier at the command of Napoleon in the spring of 1798. The persecutions of the Middle Ages ended with the end of the 1260 years, right on time to the month, 1260 years. In Revelation 13, 11, another beast arises out of the earth around the year 1798. Now, what kind of beast is it? We've already studied this together. Is it a tin-horned beast or a lamb-like beast? A lamb-like beast, Exactly. And this beast looks like a lamb, but he's not the lamb of God. Just like the horn has eyes like a man, but he's not the son of man. This beast looks like a lamb, but he's not the lamb. Then I saw another beast which rose out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. In Revelation 5, a lamb is the symbol for Jesus Christ. In the context, a lamb-like beast is a kingdom based on Christian principles, 
that arises around the year 1798 at the end of the 1260 years. The lamb-like beast of logical necessity, the lamb-like beast must be the United States of America. And according to the book of Revelation, the lamb-like beast initiates the mark of the beast in the United States of America. So the question arises, what is the mark of the beast? Turn with me to Revelation 13, 16. The Bible says it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to what? To be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the, the mark that is what? The name of the beast or the number of its name. In the future, the mark of the beast will be administered on the head, the forehead, and the hand. Am I right or wrong? What does the text say? That's where it goes. Now, why does it go there? Now, we've got all kinds of people coming up with various ideas, but there's a very simple Bible answer to this. Turn to Deuteronomy 6, look at verses 6 to 8. Speaking of the Ten Commandments, given in chapter 5, that's the context of the passage we're reading here. And these words, which I command you this day, meaning the Ten Commandments, shall be where? They shall be upon your heart. Look at verse 7. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And look at verse 8. And you shall bind them as a sign where? Upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now where is that? That's your forehead. So God's Ten Commandment law goes where? In the hand, in the forehead. The mark of the beast will go where God's sign, where his law belongs. The law of God belongs in the hand and the forehead. Your life work must be in submission to his word. Your thinking must be in submission to his word. The mark of the beast substitutes the beast's law for God's law. The mark of the beast issue is a direct attack on the first four commandments in God's holy law given at Sinai because the beast is playing God. The beast is out to take the place of Jesus Christ in your life at the end. So let's look at them together. Number one, the first commandment commands us to worship God. What does it say? You shall have no other gods before me in the Ten Commandments. In Revelation 13, 12, the lamb-like beast forces the world to worship the beast. So what commandment is that an attack upon? The first commandment. Let's move to the second one. The second commandment says, you shall not make unto yourself any graven image, any likeness of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or so on. No images. In Revelation 13, 5, it builds an image to the beast, which means the second commandment is violated. What's the third commandment? Does anyone know? It says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Very good. In Revelation 13, 17, no one can buy or sell unless he has what? The number and name of the beast. It's a violation of the third commandment. The fourth commandment tells us to remember the seventh day as the Sabbath because God is its creator. It is God's sign within the holy law of God. Ezekiel 20, 12, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath as a what? As a sign, as God's mark. You know, that which goes on the forehead and the hand of God's law that is his sign is the Sabbath. Between me and them, it says, that they might know that I, the Lord, sanctify them. Friend, the seventh day is God's sign that he is the creator God worthy of our worship, worthy of our love, who gave it all to save us at the cross of Calvary. The fourth commandment says, remember the seventh day, because when you do so, 
you remember God and you remember the Son of God who died for you. In Revelation 13, 17, the beast has substituted the mark of the beast in place of God's sign that he is the creator and savior of the world. You know, many Christians today say, well, maybe that's not a big deal. We just need a day of rest, you know. I pick one, you pick one. You can choose Wednesday, I'll choose Thursday. Sunday works for most people. Let the Jews keep Sabbath. Forget it. You know the problem with that thinking? You leave God out of it. Because God doesn't think that way. God thinks the way he inspired the Bible. He put it in the word of God how he thinks. It matters to him that we keep the anniversary of the world with him, not without him. It matters that we remember that in seven days he made all that is. He rested on the seventh day and he blessed it, he filled it, he infused it with his life and presence. It matters to him. The problem with that kind of thinking is that it is a violation of a relationship with Jesus Christ. The mark of the beast is a sign of the beast's authority to change the sacred times within God's holy law. It is a false Sabbath that will be used in the future to save our country from moral and national ruin. And it will move global in Revelation 13, just before Jesus returns. And the entire world will have to come to grips with loyalty to God or loyalty to the beast power. Easter Sunday, I care about the Lord's resurrection, but the Bible doesn't command us to keep it. That's a fact. Easter Sunday, every week, enforced as the day of worship, will be used as the sign that the beast from the sea has been resurrected, completing his journey as Antichrist. How do we know that? Ezra 2.13 is the only name in the Hebrew Bible associated with the number 666. It is the genealogical number of a man's name, Adonikam. In the Hebrew, the sons of Adonikam, 666. And the name Adonikam is a sentence in Hebrew. Adonai, my Lord, come, is a third masculine singular cal perfect form of the verb kum, which means to arise. It means as a sentence, my Lord has risen. And so the mark of the beast is the resurrection of the beast from the sea. One day it will become the law of the land at pain of death, according to Revelation 13, that you must keep a false Sabbath, the one that was created to challenge God's law in the Middle Ages. It will become the law of the land, and if you do not, you will receive, according to Scripture, the painful outcome of death. The beast came into existence with an attack upon the Sabbath in the year 538. He will come back to life again. He'll be resurrected by a manipulation of Easter, by a manipulation of Sunday as a forced worship day for the world. And the Sabbath will be in play as a global test in the Christian church. In Revelation 14, 11, the Bible says, the worshipers of the beast have no rest day or night. The Greek word anapausis is literally Sabbath rest contextually. In Revelation 15, 1 to 4, the Bible describes those who are victorious over the beast in his image at the end of time. Let's take our Bibles and turn there. Revelation 15, 1-4. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and wonderful seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is ended. Now, where in the Bible have we seen seven and where God said it's finished or ended? It's in creation. What day did he say that? Seventh day. So here we have the seven plagues. We have the same language, and it uses Sabbath language to describe the outcome of world history. It sounds like Genesis 2-1, 
On the seventh day, God rested and finished all his work. Look at verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Now, how many of you want to conquer the beast in his image at the end of time? If you want to do that, I do too. Well, look what they're singing in verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and wonderful are thy deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, O King of the ages. Now, the famous Jewish Christian scholar, Dr. J. Alfred Edersheim, who converted to Christianity, in his book, The Temple, described the significance of this very passage of harps together with the song of Moses. I'd like to share with you the quote from his book on the temple. It's in the chapter dedicated to music in the second temple period. He writes, The church, which has come out of the great tribulation, stands victorious on the sea of glass, and the saints have in the harps of God sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. It is the Sabbath of the church, and as on the Sabbath, besides the psalm for the day, Psalms 92, at the ordinary sacrifice, they sing at the additional sabbatical sacrifice, Numbers 28, 9, and 10. In the morning, the song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, and in the evening, that in Exodus 15. Here he writes, So the victorious church celebrates her true Sabbath of rest by singing the same song of Moses and of the Lamb, only in the language that expresses the fullest meaning of the Sabbath songs in the temple. What does that mean? That means the victory song over the mark of the beast is a Sabbath song. It's not just a song, it is a Sabbath song. Why? Because the mark of the beast is over the Sabbath at the end of time. The mark of the beast's authority in contrast to the sign and seal of the living God, the mark within God's law that he is God the seventh day. The song of victory over the beast is a Sabbath song in Revelation 15. In verse 3, the song of Moses and the Lamb begins with the words, Great and wonderful are thy deeds, O Lord. Now this is a direct quote from Psalms 92.5. Take your Bibles if you want to, just turn there. Okay, look at verse 5 with me. It says, How great are thy works, O what? O Lord. Does everybody see that in your Bible? Okay. Now if you push your finger up the page, by the way, that's a direct allusion. The song of Moses... And the Lamb in Revelation 15 quotes this verse in Psalms 92.5. Now, if you push your finger up the page, you will discover it's a very special psalm, the only psalm like it in the Psalms. It says a song for the what? At the very top. For the Sabbath. So the victory song over the mark of the beast in his image is taken directly from Psalms 92.5 because it is a Sabbath song. Those who stand true for the fourth commandment those who stand true to God's word and God's law at the time of the end will sing a Sabbath song on the sea of glass because the mark of the beast is over the seventh day Sabbath. It's over what Jesus is about within the Sabbath as well. It is the only song in the Hebrew Bible of this nature. Revelation 15.4 provides the end of the song of Moses and the Lamb. Revelation 15.4, going back. Who will not fear and glorify thy name, O Lord? For thou alone art holy, all nations shall come and bow down before thee, for thy judgments have been revealed. And most Bible margins indicate that verse 4 is taken from Isaiah 66, 23. If you look in your Bible margin, you'll find most of the time it'll say Isaiah 66, 23. So let's go back and look at that verse, because that's where the illusion is from. Isaiah 66, 23. From new moon to new moon, 
And from Sabbath to Sabbath, here's the quote, all flesh shall come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Now, what day is that occurring in the context? The Sabbath day, as well as the monthly festivals, which will be realized in eternity as a renewed worship cycle. Those who gain the victory over the mark of the beast will sing the song of Moses and the Lamb on the Sea of Glass. What does that mean? Friend, Moses gave us the law. They will not be antinomian, lawless Christians. They will be Christians who believe in the Ten Commandment law of God. But more importantly, it is the song of the Lamb because Jesus died because we have all broken God's law. Am I right? How can we sing the song of Moses without singing the song of the Lamb? I don't know about you, but in my life, I've broken God's law on occasion. And I don't think I'm alone in the church today. I think everybody else out there has too, right? But I don't want to. Do you want to? No, we don't want to. But we have. You see, we must sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. The Lamb washes our sins away, gives us the holy attitude through the Holy Spirit to live for God without condemnation. Sunday is the day Jesus rose from the dead. But friends, it is not the Sabbath day. It is the day Jesus ended his rest in the tomb and rose from the dead, but it is not the Sabbath day. It is the day he worked to comfort his disciples, but it is not the day he rested from his works as he finished his work. It is the day he told Mary to stop clinging to him because he had not yet ascended to his father, but it is not the day of worship in which God invites you to cling to him in obedience to his law. Sunday is the first day of the week and not the last day of the week. And because it is the first day, it can never point to the rest that comes on the seventh day when God said it is finished. At the end of time, we need the last day of the week to bring us rest and peace. Righteousness by works is the terrible deception of doing it your own way, of being smarter than God, of changing God's law, of standing in judgment upon God's truth and making God fit into your plans. That's the world kingdom system. The seventh day points to the finished work of God that only Jesus Christ can give you in life. Man was made on the sixth day. Eve was made on the sixth day. And he rested in God's finished work on the seventh day. The Sabbath is a sign and a seal that you are finished by faith in Jesus Christ before you begin a new life with God. That faith, acceptance, a finished work is the basis of a life lived for God. Sabbath is a sign that you cannot complete life. You must start with one who has. Acceptance and rest are the themes of the gospel. And the Sabbath is the sign that Jesus kept his word at the cross. When he quoted Genesis 2.1, the language of the seventh day, it is finished. And he rested on the seventh day to prove it. Jesus knew the final generation would need the Sabbath. He knew there'd be lots of religious teachers out there saying it's been changed. He knew that most of the Christian churches would go along with the church of Rome that claims to have changed it. And he knew that we needed something better than human tradition. He knew the issues of the mark of the beast. And so he said this just before he died. Matthew 24, 14, then 20, 22. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. Pray. How many like the word Pray. Pray, pray that your flight may not be in winter 
or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Pray that your flight will not be on the Sabbath. Pray it will not be on the Sabbath. Pray to keep the Sabbath. Friend, Jesus knew that his people would need the Sabbath because they need him to face the mark of the beast, to face the final tribulation. Pray that your flight will not be on the Sabbath, that you will be with Jesus at the time of the end. Dear Heavenly Father, we live in the last heartbeat of human history. May we realize the heart that beats well beats with Jesus' heart deep within. We are very grateful for this most strongest of all warnings in Scripture, that we must pay attention to that which Jesus spoke at Mount Sinai. And we must have the song of the Lamb in our hearts, that we must know Jesus, have the faith of Jesus, and thereby keep the commandments of God when tested and tried. Father, may we never put confidence in how good we are at keeping them, but may we put confidence in the one who was good enough to get it right. And Father, by His power, through His name, teach us to obey. And may everyone here pass the test by hanging on to Jesus at the time of the end. Lord, bless your people. May the one who is able to keep them, to hold them, to secure them, bless them every day of their lives in Jesus, in his word for the future. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. That will conclude the second and third angels' messages. It was a broadcast that we started on Friday. We hope you were able to listen to the entire message, but if not, it's available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Our phone number here is 877-788-5371. 877-788-5371. You can call that telephone number at any time and stop by the website, reachingyourheart.com. And help us out with a financial contribution, if you would. and helps us to continue to bring you these messages here on this station. For Pastor Michael Oxentenko and everyone here, please also know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.